All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Sure. Um, <laughs> if you've been with us, you know that we've been in this series called Authority. Church, can you help me out this morning? Can you say authority? Authority. Yeah. Some of y'all said it like the Lord put breath in your lungs to say it. That's how we like it. We've been in this series called Authority. This is week five. Church, say five. There's five of them, right? There's five of them, which means we've done this four other times. If you have not been with us, let me take a shameless uh, second to encourage you to go back and check those out. You can catch them on Apple. You can catch them on Spotify. You can catch them on YouTube. You can catch them on our website, and we remind you of it on our social media where you should also follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Listen, it's been, it's been an incredible series, but where we left off last week was talking about how when you live by Christ's authority, you are given Christ-like influence. Yes. And the deeper you go with your relationship in God, the more God grows your influence. Amen. Where we pick up this morning is in Jesus' ministry where that's exactly what was happening right? As, as he was preaching, as he was continuously growing his relationship with the Father, appreciate you, as he was continuously growing his relationship with the Father, his influence was beginning to grow. Jesus was a carpenter from Nazareth. He was nobody who popped onto the scene with a million followers, okay? He'd have been the person that the first day he signed up on Instagram, he'd have been having to follow the follow channels just to get some follow backs, right? Like, he's not, he's not a, a, a natural-born influencer in that regard, but his influence is beginning to grow because of the relationship that he has with the Father and the work that is coming from that relationship. And it grew to the point that in the chapter before what we're going to read today, he was even invited to dine with the religious leaders. Let me tell you a secret. People from Nazareth were not invited to dine with religious political leaders. But he was invited into the home of some religious leaders and he took the opportunity this is how confident Jesus was. He took the opportunity to recline. Some of us invited to that space would sit up straight and be on our best behavior. My guy Jesus was reclining. He's chilling. And while he's chilling, he's rebuking the religious leaders. Yeah, I know how good y'all look on the outside. But also let me tell you how good I know it doesn't look on the inside. He's rebuking hypocrisy. He's rebuking the fake facade that some religious people put up. I know that's unrelatable to today, but it used to be like that. Thank you. Three people snickered and they got it. His influence was growing to a point that even after he was invited to eat with religious leaders, he walked outside and there was a crowd just waiting for him to come out. Paparazzi times a thousand. And this hot, humid crowd begins following him everywhere he goes. And that gets us to what we're going to read today. If you're with me, you can join me in the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in the 12th chapter. If you have your physical Bibles, I just invite you to just open those up. It's good to just be in the practice of having the physical copy with you. It's the only physical copy of a book I want. Otherwise, catch me on Audible or Hoopla. 
but you can open up to chapter 12. If you don't have it with you, it'll be up here on the screen. We're going to read from the Gospel of Luke. This is chapter 12. We're just going to read three verses together. In your Bible, you might notice that these are red letters. That means Jesus said it. So this is what Jesus says, starting in verse 4. He says, I tell you, my friends, so kind. I I, man, I love kind Jesus. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yeah, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are of more value than any of the sparrows. A few weeks ago, we were recording, we were recording this podcast. Um, this thing that my wife convinced me to do. You know those things that you only agree to do because people of influence in your life are like, they, they've stopped asking you and they just started being like, nah, you're doing this. And you're like, oh, all right, because you know they can make you. So this podcast that my wife and my best friend do um, and make me participate in, it's called The Bless Up Podcast. And a few weeks ago, a few weeks ago, Rachel asked the question on the podcast. She said, um, she said, where did you see your life? So you're 31 now. Somebody just learned that I wasn't 16. She said, you're 31 now. Where did you see your life at this point? And I started thinking and I was like, I'm gonna keep it real. I didn't think I'd make it to 31. Not anything scary. I just thought Jesus was gonna have come back by then. Because growing up, I experienced, I experienced uh, uh, death at a, at a young age. And so I had a big fear of death. I was deathly afraid of death. I was super afraid of what that moment is like. Is it painful? Do you go instantly? Like what happens in the time where you know you're dying, but you're not dead yet? How am I going to die? When am I going to die? Am I going to make it till I'm old? Is it going to happen to me randomly? Like I had this, this I don't want to call it irrational because I think it was justified based on trauma, but like the way I was acting could have been considered irrational. And I know definitively that it got on my mother and my grandmother's nerves. And so they started telling me, you don't need to worry about death. And as a young child, I'm like, why? Tell me, infinite source of wisdom, why do I not have to worry about death? And they would tell me, because, baby, Jesus is going to come back before you die. And so I started believing that I wasn't going to have to worry about death because Jesus would be back before that. Amen. And quite honestly, because my brothers were quite a bit older than me, I had imagination for what my teen years looked like. Then later on, I had imagination for what my 20s looked like. But I never had imagination for what 30s looked like because I figured sometime around 26, 27, 28 at the latest, Jesus would be back to get me. So I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea. I never dreamt far enough 
to be able to tell you what I'd be doing because I was afraid of death. Now that might sound silly, but if we're honest with ourselves, I know some of us have stopped dreaming because of what we're afraid of. I know some of us have stopped taking steps of faith out on a limb to, to try something we feel the Lord compelling us towards because we're afraid of some of the consequences that might come with it. I know for a fact that many of us are avoiding something right now because it's attached to fear. It's not a mistake that I think Jesus is addressing fear so sharply. He says, don't be afraid. But then he says, do be afraid. But then he says, don't be afraid again. What am I supposed to be afraid of, Jesus? We're going to answer that today. I've got three points for you and three points only. We're going to go ahead and jump into point number one. Point number one is this, fear is not a good enough reason to not do what God has asked you to do. Fear is not a good enough reason to not do what the Lord has asked you to do. You know what else isn't a good enough reason to not participate? Money, but that's a different sermon for another day, but I know somebody instantly went there. Money's not a good enough reason either, but fear definitely isn't. Fear is not a good enough reason to not do what the Lord is asking you to do. It's not a mistake that as this crowd is following him, this crowd knows, right? The disciples definitely know. They were there. But the crowd knows he just met with religious leaders. He came out of that meeting with religious leaders rebuking uh, hypocrisy. I was going to say heresy. That too, but hypocrisy specifically. And then he stops and he's like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of them. It could have been. He was saying, don't be afraid of speaking out against these religious leaders who are hypocrites, which would have been scary because the Pharisees rule the culture. They are to quite literally judge and weigh in on matters of cultural and religious importance. They are who people look to as influence for what was cool and not cool in culture. They are to whom people would look to ask, is this acceptable or are we canceling this person? And so it would be scary to go against that because then they're just going to come after me. I'm going to get canceled. I'm going to get put out. There's going to be dirt on me as to why I'm not religious enough. Then I won't be welcome in circles. A very real fear would have been fear of judgment. I don't want to mess with that. Jesus, you bold. Not me though. Because I'm afraid of what people are going to think. He could have been telling them, don't be afraid. because of threats of physical harm. It's, I mean, we know on this side that 11 of the 12 disciples walking with Jesus would end up being martyred, murdered, killed for their beliefs. 
And so it could be that he's addressing, don't be afraid of physical harm. Don't be afraid of threats of violence. See, I know that you know if you speak out against the Pharisees, or I know that you know that if you live the way that I'm telling you to live, that's going to come with some tension. There's going to be some people that don't like it. There's going to be some people that are, that are real thirsty to bring up your past. Tweets from 2010. There's going to be some people that if you step out are going to be real quick to bring up something that, that, that may or may not have even been reflective of your character, but they believe would, should disqualify you. There's going to be people who will do anything they can to silence you. There's going to be people, not everybody is non-confrontational as you are. Some people are going to confront you. Some people to your face are going to threaten you. Jesus says fear of physical violence and worldly threats are not a good enough reason to not participate in this lifestyle. Or he could have been addressing death directly. He does say, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body. But after that, I mean, what can you really do after you kill somebody? I mean, nothing. They're dead. He says, don't be afraid of death. Because if you've been following me, you likely have heard me by now talk about the fact that there is life after death. Actually, more specifically, there is perfect life after death. To be even more specific, that's actually the hope that you have. Actually, everything that I've been teaching you points to what is after death. So I feel you, right? We don't want to be in pain, but also we should want to not be here. We should want to be there. We should be anxiously looking towards glory. So don't be afraid of death. But fear still rules our life, doesn't it? Let me ask you this question. What fear have you given authority to? What fear have you allowed to run your life? I remember the first time I stepped on Malone's campus. I was in a vulnerable place. I had just transferred in. I had just moved. I had just become a Christian. And I wanted to be surrounded in Christian community. I had my ideas of what it was going to be like. And I remember the culture shock that I experienced going from the big university I was at 30 minutes north to here. And when my first professor that walked into my first class walks in and on day one says, let's open with a word of prayer, I was like, oh, yeah, that's different. Did y'all have professors? Well, a lot of you went to Malone. Never mind. (laughs) It was different. It was different. And then the more I heard people speak, they were speaking intelligently about scripture. And I was like, yeah, let me not say nothing. Let me not say anything. Honestly, for my first semester, other than the fact that that's when I met James because he was in that class, other than that, I didn't say anything to anybody because I was afraid that if the people on this campus knew what I had been up to just a few weeks before I got there, I'd be disqualified before I even got a fair chance. The fear of judgment. 
We have friends and family that aren't with us this morning, not because it's super hot in this gym and they didn't want to sweat, but because they're afraid of what other people will think about them when they walk in here. You ever hear somebody say, I can't walk into church, I'll burst into flames immediately. Can I tell you, I've been doing this for years and I ain't never seen it happen yet. And let me tell you, I've seen some people walk in here. See what I'm saying? Fear of judgment for many of us is the reason we didn't participate in sports in high school, activities outside of what's in a big group setting. Some people haven't joined a huddle or won't come to summer studies because I don't know in a smaller setting what people will think of me. In a bigger setting, it's easier to hide. Fear of judgment is real. But Jesus says, don't worry about that. Because after they're done judging you, ain't nothing left. Some people are afraid of worldly physical threats. Threats of physical harm. Maybe you're not in a situation, well, maybe you are. Let me talk about that first. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're afraid to step out of your doorstep because you don't perceive your neighborhood as being safe. Or maybe, maybe you feel God calling you into something. You're actually real convicted about it. But all the people around you who haven't experienced that thing you feel God calling you into has said, do you know where that is? Don't you know what happens down there? And so you haven't stepped into the calling that God has for this season on your life because you're afraid of what might happen because I don't know anybody over there. And I heard it gets wild. And it's summer, it's hot. And so right now you're avoiding something that God has put in your chest to do because you're afraid of what might happen to you. Let me flip it to the other side. Because some of you look like you can handle yourselves in the face of physical threats. So maybe you're not afraid of what physically might happen to you, but you're afraid of the threats on your livelihood. Let me say it another way. You're afraid of what might mess with your money. You're afraid to give sacrificially unto the Lord. Because what if I blow a tire out and I'm like, dang, I wish I wouldn't have dropped that 400 on Sunday. You're afraid. You're afraid of leaving the place of employment where you are constantly spoken down to, where you constantly come home because you're in a toxic environment, angry and with a headache. Maybe you're afraid of moving. You're afraid of switching up the normal routine because at least I get paid where I'm at. Stepping away from this security, moving out of my parents' house, moving out of where I'm at would threaten my livelihood. It would threaten the way that I like to live, and I don't really want to have to worry about that. Or Maybe some of you were where I was in the earlier story. You're just straight up afraid of dying. Yes, sir. You're afraid. You know you're closer to death than you are to birth. And you're starting to get stressed because you know that there's all kinds of things that you thought you would have done by now, but you hadn't. Or you're worried about what you're leaving behind for your family, for the ones that you care about. 
or maybe physically it hasn't been so great lately and you're worried about what the consequences of that might be Jesus says clear as day verse 4 we ain't even got to verse 5 yet verse 4 he says clear as day don't worry about that don't worry about that because what's the worst that can happen this is why I love this passage because Jesus does what I do he runs worst case scenario off rip he's like worst case scenario what happens they kill you worst case scenario what happens you die and you're sitting here like, yes, that sounds like worst case scenario. Death sounds like worst case scenario. Jesus is like, meh. Exactly. Because what's after that is dope. Glory. What's after that is incredible. Yes. What's after that is it can't happen no more. Amen. What's after those tears is you won't cry. What's happen what happens after this sickness is you'll be well. Amen. I got to get to point two. I got to hit verse five. Point two. It's the fear of God that makes us fearless. Fear of God makes us fearless. So Jesus is like, yo, look, that fear that you're worried about ain't nothing. Let me tell you about the fear you should have, though. You're over here worried about what happens if you die. Let me tell you what you ought to be concerned with. What you ought to be concerned with is what happens after you die. Amen. You're worried about the person who could kill you. I'm telling you to worry about the person who judges where you go after you've been killed. I ain't worried about the dude on the corner. You ought to be worried about the dude in the heavens. He says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear the one that after you've been through all of that can look at you and say, yeah, I didn't know you. You didn't know me. You got to go. Down to the valleys. Down to suffer. He says, I'll tell you who to fear. Fear God. Okay, you got me. That sounds scary. I'm a little afraid of God. What does that look like? You don't have to turn there. I'll tell it to you. Hebrews 12, I think, summarizes it the best. Hebrews 12, verses 28 and 29 say that, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Fear of God. Although you have every reason to get into the fetal position and cry. That's not what Jesus is looking for. Fear of God comes with gratitude. It comes with thanksgiving. Thank God that now I'm a part of a kingdom that is not coming down. There will never come a day where there is a transition of power and it doesn't look like what I'm used to it looking like anymore and now I'm uncomfortable and worried about its future. There will never come a day where the enemy is able to climb over the walls that the Lord has built and compromise what's on the inside. There will never come a day where all who ascribe to the kingdom 
will not experience everything they were promised. It's a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And because you get to be a part of that, fear of God looks like acceptable worship. What does that, does that mean I gotta like, I don't like to put my hands up. That means I gotta, that means I gotta, acceptable worship, worship is defined in Romans as giving your life. It says present yourselves, present your life as a sacrifice, a living one to be precise. Jesus says the gratitude of being a part of an unshakable kingdom looks like you living your life the way that Jesus would live his life. And then it says, with reverence and awe. Let me ask it to you this way. I'm going to stand right here because I know this is where I'm going to get a reaction. Does anybody, has anybody ever been in awe of what God has done for you? Thank you. It says, remember all that God has done for you. I'm picturing, I'm picturing Moses. I bet he thought the plagues were pretty wild. But then it probably wasn't until he was between his enemy and an ocean without swimming lessons. And then the Lord parted the seas. I bet he had to fight the temptation between running and just falling to his knees and being like, dang, yeah. awesome. God did that. Yes. I'm thinking of the lame man outside of the pool of Bethesda where for years he watched people trample over him as the well would spring up to get their blessing. Being so close to a breakthrough, but not being able to get himself that far. And then Jesus comes along and says, do you want to be well? Then pick up your mat and walk. I bet prior to that moment, he looked at what was happening in the pool of Bethesda, and he was like, that's pretty cool. But when Jesus came along and said, you can walk now, and then he started walking... I bet at least for a moment, he didn't want to walk and he hit his knees to be like, wow. Thank you, Jesus. He says, because our God is an all-consuming fire. It means what he's against, he will destroy which means what he's against, we ought to also be against. If he don't like it, I don't like it. If he did it, I'm in awe. And because of my gratitude, I'll continue to live. Let me ask you, are you in awe of what God has done? I want you to think back the last time that you felt so hopeless. It might be right now. I'm not talking about right now. I'm talking about before. Think about the last time you felt so hopeless. You still breathing? You cool? Did he provide? 
I had the honor of being a part of a baptism service on Thursday night. I was in a parking lot at a motel not none of you going to. And I got to witness all the things going against that evening being possible. The weather, the people standing outside, the lifestyle of people attending, distractions. There was a lot going against that evening happening. And I couldn't help but be humbled and honored and in awe of what God was doing as I stood next to several brave women who amidst all the enemies facing them made the public declaration, not in the safety of their church home, church building home, but in a parking lot in the city. And I was in awe of what God did. When you're in awe of what God does, you don't worry about the enemies facing you. When you truly have reverence for where the Lord has brought you out of and where he is taking you, you don't worry about the threat that's looking you in your eyes as you're getting dunked. When you are in awe, when you have the appropriate fear of God, you are truly fearless. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be afraid. Don't be afraid. Let me land the plane with this. Point number three, overarching this entire passage, you need to know that God is for you. I hear you say, don't be afraid of my enemies. I hear you say, be afraid of God because he can do some wild stuff. You need to know that God is on your side. Verses six and seven say that, say that aren't, aren't sparrows super cheap? Aren't those like the lowliest form of food you could buy? I know we're not in the habit of buying sparrows, but it's like really cheap, right? Yeah. Isn't that food for those who can't afford other food? The Lord said, and yet, Jesus said, and yet the Lord hasn't lost track of a single one of those sparrows. Sparrows that you can buy multiple of for a penny. And the Lord hasn't lost track of a single one of those. You, you hold more value than the sparrows. You're so valuable that he hasn't lost track of a single hair on your head. Long after you've lost track of the hair on your head, he knows what happened to it. Jesus cares, extends his care to you into every intricate detail of your life. Jesus has not lost track of a single element of who you are or what you will face. And if you take nothing away from anything else that I say, take this away. It is that Christ is your advocate. He is the one whose care extends to the tiniest detail. And he is the one who also knows the intricacies of your enemy. And he is the one that will stand in between and fight with and for you. The Lord will face 
your fears with and for you. I know I gotta get out of your way, so let me just say this. As a church, as a church, y'all hold me accountable and let me hold you accountable for not fearing the elements of this world. Let's not let whom or what we're afraid of be the reason we don't participate in what God is calling us towards. On Sunday mornings when we do get to be together, let's remember all that God has done for us. All the ways that God has protected us, all the ways that God has provided for us, all the ways that God will continue to move us closer and closer safely into glory. All the ways that even though life circumstances might not get easier, the more difficult they get, the more sufficient his grace becomes. Let's be a church that is bold enough to face what's in front of us because we know that the God and the author of an unshakable kingdom is right there with us and for us. Let's pray. Father God, we recognize your sovereignty and your design. Lord, we recognize that you did not give us the spirit of fear and timidity. And Lord, in your kingdom, you make us strong. You make us confident. So God, we pray for forgiveness for the ways that we have not lived into that. Forgive us, Father, for we are very, very afraid. We ask that through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, that we would be made, that we would be given the courage of the Lord. Lord, I pray that right now, we look the fear facing us in its eye and we rebuke that in Jesus name continue to be a light to our feet and guide the way forward pray this in Jesus name all who believe say bless up